You guessed it. Fans' favorite, the world's most interesting tech podcast. Welcome to the 25th episode of the Dream Shakers podcast. I am George Nunez, here with my co-host, Stefan Odom. And we have Nigel Davis on the show. He is a South Florida native. He is a University of Florida alum. Has had previous experiences at General Electric. Works as a software engineer at Microsoft. And now he's working on something greater. He created a startup called Grapevine to tackle the mental health issues that often plague college communities. Please help me welcome Nigel Davis. Going on, brother? How you feeling this morning? I'm feeling good. I appreciate y'all for having me on the podcast. Um, yeah, I'm just excited to be here. Excited to you know talk with you guys a little bit about what I have going on and yeah, get into it. Mm. See, I, I like the excitement here, right? Like I've always liked your energy, even when we <laughs> talked off the off the podcast, right, and and on the phone. And I want to know where this energy comes from, right? What was your upbringing like in South Florida? Yeah, so um, so I grew up, like you said, in South Florida. I have a twin brother. So it was an interesting dynamic growing up. Everything was kind of, you know, everything was happening simultaneously. So uh, we had these kind of three identities of, you know, academics, good in school, sports, and then music. So I think the energy just came from I was always doing something and I was trying always trying to push. So whether that's pushing in the classroom to get better grades, pushing on the football field to excel more, or pushing with music. Um, I ended up playing music like somewhat professionally by the time I ended high school, but it was just like always pushing to achieve, you know, the next level of something and not being complacent. So I think that, you know, has carried me through to college and carried me through to now. And the energy just comes from like, I'm excited to go get it, like get up and grind and thankful that I have, you know, another day to go do that. So I think that's kind of where the energy stems from. So that connection to Oak Community uh, family has definitely had lasting impacts on you and currently how you carry yourself uh, in these settings. Um, building, Building off of some of that early inspiration, what convinced you that a degree in computer science and engineering um, would be the right path? And when were you first introduced to tech? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I did not go into college thinking that engineering was going to be what I wanted to do. I actually didn't even really know what it was when I started college. So I guess um, from a younger age, if you're good at math and science, like the the direction that was offered to me is like, oh, you know, be a doctor. So that's what I wanted to do for a really long time. That was like, you know, the STEM specialty, be a doctor. So when I was in 10th or 11th grade for a summer, I went to this like medical school camp and they had us actually like talk to people who were in med school and people who are doctors. And they were just talking about how long the road was in terms of like the 12 years of school and you do residency and all that. And I was like, I don't know if I could, you know, go through all that. So I decided I didn't want to be a doctor, but I didn't know what I did want to pursue. So thankfully for me, you know, I had a twin brother. He was going into engineering and I was just like, oh, let me just hop on that. He probably made a good decision. So <laughs> I'll at least do that in the short term 
until I figure out what I wanted to do. So he was, um, I think, mechanical engineering at the time. So I went to into college as mechanical engineering. Still didn't know anything about tech. But during my freshman year, I noticed that Twitter, Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, they were always recruiting at my school, but they were looking for computer science majors. And I was like, dang, I'm mechanical. Like, y'all don't want me. Like, you can't, I can't do anything over there. So I ended up minoring in computer science. And when I did my first internship at General Electric, I got hands-on experience with the mechanical stuff, but I really enjoyed the computer science aspect. So I like, you know, got my way onto this project or I kind of made it up for myself where I got to write this script for um, a metallurgist on our team who was doing costing for different elements. And it just like sped up his process a lot. He was doing everything like manually in Excel. And I wrote this script that he could run. I was like, whoa, it's just so powerful how I can actually shave hours off of this person's task. He can, you know, go back to his family sooner or he can, you know, do more and produce more just based off me like writing these lines of code and from that point on my perception just switched it's like technology coding it's so powerful because you can really create change in the physical world like it has real world implications not that the other um disciplines of engineering don't but it was just so easy like with mechanical i had always had this like entrepreneurial mindset and i know if i wanted to start something with a mechanical background you have to pay for land labor machinery all of these things computer science like you really just need a computer and most of the other stuff is free so i was like okay if i want to actually be able to impact lives and you know create in the physical world and make change like computer science just makes it really easy to do so from that point on i switched my major over to computer science from mechanical and uh, the next internship I got was with Microsoft and I continued interning them until I graduated and now I work for them full time. But I think that was like a weird journey to tech. I've talked to some people who like, oh, yeah, I started coding when I was in high school and I just like like doing it. Me, it was just like I stumbled upon it because I realized there were one, a lot of opportunities there in terms of working at these cool companies that you read about and you hear about. And it's like, oh, now I could actually work there. And then also from the entrepreneurial side, like you can really create and bring things into the real world and help people impact them um, just from taking a couple hours to like write a couple lines of code. So I think that was how I got into tech and what kind of guided my direction there. So you achieved a lot throughout your time on this earth and you gave kudos to your twin brother, but I'm sure we also know that you had support and mentorship along the way. You were involved in certain organizations uh, like MLT and, and being a part of the Alpha Fraternity. Talk about those organizations and, and how they have helped you grow and scale in your professional career. Yeah. Um before I go into that, I'll also give kudos to my parents because I would say that was the first, you know, organization that really pushed me. They were, you know, always yeah. on me to do more and excel. And I think that's why when I found MLT and Alpha that I aligned so well with it because it was like in the mindset that I was already used to, right? So MLT, they surround you with this environment of achievers from all over the country. And it's like, 
you don't even want to slack because then it's like, you know, I see all these people who are reaching their full potential or trying to reach their full potential. And I want to do that too, because I know that I'm capable you know, of, you know, doing these things. So MLT was awesome for this, the, the connections that it provided and the visibility that it provided. So you're seeing other people who look like you, you know, underrepresented minorities, underrepresented college students who are working in Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Deloitte, all of these places. And it's like, oh, I can do that too. And you're getting connected with, you know, the recruiters and the people who actually currently work there. And it's like, oh, they look like me too. So it's this whole, you can have um, imposter syndrome when you're thinking or dreaming of being in those spaces and having those conversations, but being able to have them with people who look like you or understand your situation really drives you to say, oh, this is something that I actually can do. And if it's something that I want, I'm going to go get it. And there's so much support around me. And similarly, with joining um, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, that's just a brotherhood of people who are always striving for more. And, you know, I had like Mohammed, we've talked about Mohammed before, but he was very impactful for me on just like never letting me, you know, be complacent because, you know, in the fraternity, when you see something in somebody, you make sure that they get the most out of it. You're not letting them sit and sit on their potential. It's like, oh no, I know you're good at this thing. I know you're okay at public speaking. So we're going to make you great at public speaking. And I'm going to have you speak at these events. I'm going to, you know, put you in these places that end up propelling you forward, end up helping you develop in ways that, you know, I might not have pushed myself. So I think just being in those two organizations really set my mindset up in a way that I wanted to continue to push forward and see what I'm capable of doing. Because when you see it, you can be it. And you see all these other people doing the things that you want to do and executing. That's the biggest thing. They're not just talking about it. These people are getting in the rooms and going to these interviews, whether you get it or not, you know, they're trying, they're improving their resumes. They're putting their name in the hat for these jobs that it's like, whoa, you got this. And then a lot of them are actually succeeding and getting it. So it just, you know, when you surround yourself with people who are, you know, accomplishing great things and trying to move on their potential and it just makes you want to do that too. And and big major kudos and shout outs to Muhammad Merlin. Uh, we got a chance to interview him on a previous episode. Uh, and he is the one that put you and I in touch. So uh, if you're listening to this, Muhammad, we appreciate you. <laughs> and and thank you, brother. Uh, great amount of appreciation definitely goes out to Muhammad. The, the assist was, was definitely uh, well-received. Um, so you, you spoke about a lot right there, right? So you talk about mindset shifts. You s- spoke about um, the ability to enhance core skills uh, through experience and combining that with some of the experiences you had at places like GE and Microsoft, when did you know that now was the right time to kind of step outside of those arenas and launch your own venture in the form of Grapevine? And and to elaborate off of Steph's question, right? Previously, Muhammad talked about the importance of mental health and how we should focus more on that. So when did you realize that was a startup focus that you needed to uh, hone in on? And how did you overcome some of those mental health barriers, whether if it was through you or vicariously through friends? Yeah, great questions. Um, So for the first one, how did I know when I wanted to, you know, start Grapevine? 
I think I've always had this entrepreneurial itch that I wanted to start something and I wanted to create. So I think it's really cool, you know, in you know today's society, a lot of people are creating things, y'all are creating this podcast. And I think um, even when I was younger, like I had started this little company called Speedy Enterprise Corporation that was like speed training and stuff. Um, and even before Grapevine in college, I had um, this like website company called Instant Designs, but there were just like a lot of lessons learned through starting those things, the um, one prior to Grapevine, it was like, okay, if I'm not doing something that I'm extremely passionate about, I'm going to give up on it because, you know, the money is not going to fuel me enough to do these things I don't like doing. If the impact is not, you know, what I want, um, what I want my legacy to be or what I want to leave my mark as, then I'm not going to do it because as you guys know, you know, creating anything involves a lot of consistency and dedication and if you're not passionate about what you're doing, it's hard to, you know, bring yourself every day, every week, every month to be consistent in that arena. So with Grapevine, um, I found that solving the problem of initially it started off trying to help college students just create their best college experience because I felt like I fell into a lot of things um, and it wasn't really like I had, you know, all the information at my disposal and I could choose you know what i wanted to become a part of what things i wanted to go to was just i I had this narrow vision of what my friends were going to that so that's what i was going to do or what i had heard about just randomly so that's what i was going to do so it started off being an aggregator for events and experiences on your campus we got into the mental health component when we realized that there was this larger problem and especially for underrepresented students on college campuses if you're not getting integrated into those spaces where you feel safe and you feel included, then that can result in a lot of alienation and isolation that then turns into anxiety, depression, students end up dropping out, students end up transferring because they don't feel like they can do it. And a lot of us have gone through that. I went through that my first and second year of college. And it wasn't that I didn't think I was smart enough. It was just like, I didn't think I belonged at this school. So being able to create a platform that not only lets college students know what all is available to them, but can direct them to those spaces where they will feel the most heard, included, and seen. Um, that was something that, that's a mission that continues to drive me. So talking back about, you know, passion and how do you stay consistent on these things? If the finish line, if the North Star that you're shooting for is something that you personally find very valuable, I think it's made it super easy to continue getting up every day, every week, every month and pursuing this goal and pushing because there are people who I feel need this platform and need something like this. Because I know I did when I was in school. And if I would have had something um, like this, then maybe I don't go through some of those challenges. Talking about mental health on college campuses, because of the increase in prevalence of talking about mental health, um, a lot of people are realizing that they're going through things um, anxiety, depression that they didn't know they were going through. And the counseling and wellness centers have become like overwhelmed with the number of students who are, you know, trying to get in for appointments. So in the less severe cases, I'm thinking, okay, how can we, you know, help resolve some of these challenges that it's like, I just, you know, feel isolated. If we can help get you included in something, will that, you know, help a little bit if you feel like you're alienated like you don't belong here if we can find that space where you do belong maybe you don't have to go make that appointment with the counseling and wellness center now because 
we've alleviated some of the you know lower level challenges that you're facing. So um, college students really have a lot on their plate already, especially underrepresented college students. So anything that you know I can do or create to alleviate some of those challenges, you know, I can't take away that school is difficult and you got to study and all that stuff. But school is hard enough without the additional challenges of I don't feel like I belong here. I don't feel like I'm good enough. I don't think that, you know, this is the place for me. So that's kind of where Grapevine stemmed from. Yeah, you you touched on a lot of great points there. Um, and, and we appreciate the explanation. You are currently the, the founder and, and, and CEO of Grapevine and, and also working full time um, as a software engineer at Microsoft. How are you been how have you been able to effectively balance the responsibilities of both roles? Because well, well, three roles, right? So founder, CEO, and software engineer. So how have you been able to manage it all? Um, I think it's been really tough at times, like just being transparent. Um, because you have competing priorities from different places at different times, and it's like, how do you, you know? balance all of those things. I think um, it helps me to be organized and I get up early in the morning so I can kind of set my day and I know, okay, if I hit these marks, then I'm going to get everything done. But you don't always feel like when you wake up in the morning, you don't always feel like going and doing all those things. So I think the main driver is, okay, in each of these arenas, what is pushing me to get up in the morning and actually go do this. So for Microsoft, it's the fact that, you know, I'm working on products that impact millions of people and they go out to an enormous scale. And it's like, okay, that's exciting for me to work on. I can get up and I can do those things. For Grapevine, it's like I talked about, you know, college students who are using this platform can see a, a benefit from it and they're having a better experience. So it's less so about, because the time management thing, you can plan for anything and you can figure that out. But when it gets time to actually go do the work, it's like, what's going to drive you to actually go sit for two hours and write this code or sit for three hours looking through, you know, legal documents and actually reading through it and going, having back and forth um, with lawyers and people like that. So I think that all of it revolves around, you know, making sure that you're doing something that you're passionate about. And so even when it does get difficult, when it does get emotionally draining, physically draining, you're like, okay, but I know why I'm doing this so I can get up and do it again tomorrow. Because a lot of days that I've had have been, you know, pretty tough um, emotionally. But I think just knowing why I'm doing these things and why I continue to push forward, that makes it a little easier to get up the next day and go do it again. Being able to have the ability to come to terms with that, right? To, to come to terms with that reality day in and day out. What has been the key differences that you've noticed in this journey with Grapevine, right? Um, in regards to progress, how has the company been able to scale over time and how has that impacted the level of tasks, responsibilities you and your team have had to manage? And in addition to that point, um, you know, what were the effects of COVID? Last year was a historic year in, in a lot of regards. And how has that impacted your company and also um, the level of involvement um, you've had at, at Microsoft in regards to remote work? Yeah, so that's really good. Um, for the first one, how are we able to 
scale. I think this journey has been extremely interesting for me and extremely uh, rewarding because like, I don't have a background in business at all. And I didn't know anything really about running a company. So it was a lot of like, you know, taking hits over the head every day. And it's like, okay, now I know how this works though. And I can go forward and understand it. So at the beginning, I started off as, you know, a software engineer who made this product. And then now it's trying to turn that into a business rather than, okay, we have a, a business idea. It's a proposal or whatever we think it'll work. Now let's, you know, create the product. So it was kind of backwards in that sense. And getting from, you know, point A to point B just involved a lot of, you know, failures, a lot of uh, learning. And I think now I've been able to grow a lot in terms of, you know, confidence in my own decision making, because at the beginning, I was holding myself back by the thought of like, I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't have an MBA. I don't, you know, I haven't done this. This isn't what I went to school for. But now it's like, okay, a lot of people are just playing it by ear. You're still reading, you're still researching, you're making the best um, decisions possible. But even people with those backgrounds, like you can still make a wrong decision. So taking that stress off and saying, you know, I'm just going to do what I feel like is best for the company. Um, So that was good. We've been able to scale recently, just um, understanding that, you know, moving forward, it's going to be a lot of talking to customers, talking to users, seeing what they want. I think initially when I was like in the software engineer mindset was like, oh, I'm going to make this and people are going to like it and use it. But now it's like, okay, make this thing. Let's see how people feel about it. And we either go up or down or change depending on, you know, how we're solving the problem. Um, COVID made that very difficult. As you can imagine, Um, we had started getting some traction going to um, talk to different student organizations at the university of Florida and going to different meetings and stuff like that. But when COVID hit, it was like, it shook up everything, not only for our platform, but people didn't know what was going to go on, even going back to the schools and how that was going to go. And then it switched to remote learning. So then the on-campus activities had kind of ceased for that whole, um, the rest of the school year. And then, you know, the next school year. So that was difficult, but I think it was positive. Or if there was a silver lining for us, it was being able to take a step back and say, okay, is what we're building, what students really need. Now we can, you know, look to the future and anticipate, okay, when colleges start back, what is it that students are really going to need? And okay, we have this whole time to talk to students in between now and then to figure out, okay, how can we adjust this product to really fit the needs of students who are starting back in school? Um, As far as working for Microsoft during COVID, I've been working remote um, since last May, since May 2020. I've been working from Florida. So there have been uh, challenges with that, but I think it's been very freeing to be able to be near family while um, working because that was uh, one of my hesitancies. So Microsoft is headquartered in Redmond, Washington. So moving from, you know, Gainesville, Florida, where I went to college, to Redmond, Washington is like all the way across the country. It's like as far west and north as you can go. So um, being able to work from home had been really beneficial to me, especially when, you know, you are running this other company and there are emotional challenges. Being able to be around family who can support you and encourage you in situations like that was really helpful for me. So I would say that, you know, the remote work was kind of a benefit. 
but COVID did have a, a pretty large negative impact on Grapevine at that time too. You touched on something beautiful in that you were able to be cost effective and efficient in that you didn't have to move to Seattle, right? You didn't have to move to Washington to work for Microsoft because of COVID. So you worked remote from home and you were able to kind of get grapevine off the ground. But I'm sure there were challenges that you faced while you were trying to create grapevine. And so what were some of the biggest challenges that you experienced getting this concept off the ground? Yeah. And I wish uh, <laughs> the Microsoft thing had been more cost effective. So I told you I left in May. I had gotten my apartment up there. And when I came back, so I've been paying on that apartment for a year until like earlier this month. Like that's when I stopped paying. So I was paying on that thing for a year, was not living in it at all. Um, but I was back home with my parents, so I didn't have to pay two rents. But yeah, that I wish it was more cost effective than it was. But um I think the biggest challenges with Grapevine have just been confidence because, you know, whatever your idea is, whatever you're trying to push, there's going to be the challenges of business. Oh, how do I get this in front of people? How do I get people to like the product? How do I make changes? I feel like those are all kind of smaller on the scale of like, do you feel confident enough to stand in a room and say, you know, this is the decision that we're going with when there are people counting on you. And I think that for somebody who had never like, I had been in some leadership positions before, but had never like run something where I was like, everybody is counting on me. It had just been extremely difficult emotionally to say like the decisions that we make are on me. And if we make a wrong decision or we make a wrong misstep, like that's, that's on me. And I, I wasn't putting the blame on, you know, any, anybody else can't put the blame on students for not using it. Can't put the blame on whoever, whatever it's like, all right, I'm not making the right decision. So I think the hardest part was the type of person that you have to become to lead a company and move a company forward because the hardships come daily. There's always something. And I think initially it was very difficult for me to, I didn't understand that. So I was saying it was like the, the sky was falling every day when it's like, you know, people weren't using it or we were getting negative feedback or whatever was happening. And I was like, uh, just, we just can't do anything right. But now it's like, okay, let me take that feedback. Let me take the sky that's falling. And I'm going to, you know, turn that into something else, turn it into something positive because the sky is going to fall every day. So how do I take the situation and use that to propel us forward? Because I think negative things happening is still better than nothing happening because it's like, okay, somebody's telling us something that we can use this to direct this forward or direct this in a different way and continue to make progress. But I think initially it was just a challenge of like, why is this so hard? You don't realize how hard it is until you're in it. And you think, oh, people should just, you know, like your stuff and listen to your stuff. But anybody who's, you know, created something knows that you put it out and then it's like work to make your product better, to make more people see it. To, you know, help get visibility. All of those things are challenging. And it's like, you work at those things every day, constantly. So I think um, I listened to this thing. It was a guy who's a multimillionaire and he was saying, getting to your first million is extremely difficult. 
but getting from the first million to the second million is almost inevitable. And he was saying that's because to get to making a million dollars, you have to become the type of person that you know can make a million dollars. And by the time you get there, you're already that type of person. So making the second million isn't as difficult. So I think it's a similar thing where I had to become the type of person who could lead a company comp- confidently and you know believe in myself because you have so much self-doubt when you're doing all of these things. And like, I'm probably not the person for this. They probably could have hired somebody smarter or somebody with more expertise or whatever. So just overcoming all of the self-negativity especially because we talked about earlier, like the accomplishments were always coming pretty easily, pretty fast um, through high school and college, whatever, getting in all these things, accepting all these you know, awards and whatever. And then now it's like you're getting hit in the face with something that you actually want to do. And it's just extremely difficult. You're like, I'm not cut out for this. So I think the biggest challenge is moving past that mindset and just being like, you know, whatever is thrown at me today, I'm going to take that and move forward. You mentioned something interesting here, and I'm going to pass it back to Steph um, real quick, but you you mentioned something pivotal and vital, right, in that like you overcame self-doubt, you overcame insecurity. Um, how can we not ask this? You, you're creating a mental health startup, and, and we didn't ask you, how were you doing mentally? Like, like, how were you able to overcome that? Was it getting a therapist, or was it um, speaking to friends, was it talking to family members? Was it like, you know, isolating yourself from everything and just, you know, going to work out and, and doing things that uh, interest you? How did you overcome all of these mental battles? Yeah, I'd say all of the above. Um, so I do have a therapist. I do work out. I do talk to friends. I think all of these things that... Um, come with taking on challenging tasks they're very internal and they start building up in you like this thing was hard i'm just keeping it to myself this thing was really difficult i'm just you know gonna bury it down whatever and keep pushing and i think you know with black men the thing is like oh just keep pushing through it i don't need to talk about it but that stuff starts building up inside you and then it just like comes out at an inopportune time So I think having those different outlets of working out, going to therapy, talking to friends, talking to family about it is just all of these ways of releasing some of that stress. Because I feel like once you talk about it, then it's not like everything is on you. Other people can kind of understand what you're going through. You can exhale a little bit. So I'd say that is the biggest way of um, how I overcame a lot of, and I'm, you know, there's still challenges every day, but not having to put all the pressure on myself to just keep all of these difficult situations internally and not express it to anyone. Um, I think that's been the biggest helper for me moving through all of these uh, emotional challenges. Now you've, you've mentioned time and time again, that you are in Florida, um, that you are currently working remote, but that uh, grapevine um, is currently being built in Florida and Florida has a lot of buzz around it at this present point in time, especially in regards from uh, interest in a certain mayor uh, from from Miami and getting more uh, tech startups out there, getting them established. He's been able to generate a lot of interest from VCs who have also set up shop out there. So has any of that momentum um, had positive impacts on, on Grapevine? And do you think that would be uh, a factor uh, long-term 
that um, will positively impact the company. Yeah, um, it's cool. Yeah, the mayor of Miami has definitely been making a big push for tech um, in South Florida and in Miami. Um, I don't think any of that has positively impacted us up to this point, besides, um, you know, reaching out to other startups who are in Miami, because there's so much visibility for all of them now, and saying, oh, no, can we, you know, talk, can I hear about your journey, your experience and building that network out? I think um, eventually it will, especially when it comes time to us, you know, wanting to raise capital or things like that. If VCs are coming and looking for these companies that are based out of Florida, I think that'll be, you know, a solid opportunity for us to get in front of um, venture capitalists and pitch our idea. So I think the buzz with Florida is coming at a really good time, especially as we're, you know, building out this product. And hopefully, you know, we can capitalize on that in the future. And we noticed that on the App Store, uh, Grapevine does not connect, collect data from users, right, on, on its app. Um, how does Grapevine as a business then generate revenue considering a personalized ad service is currently uh, mentioned on the company's website? Just to quickly provide an additional amount of context there. What, what we noticed was that, uh, much like George was mentioning, um, that there's still it still seems to be ad-driven even though it's not like broken down maybe to like the individualized level. Exactly. Yeah, yeah so right now um, we're still in this like, early phase where we're trying to find product market fit with our users. And then we're going to, based on how users use the product, monetize in those directions. So it would be probably less advantageous for us to guess on where we should monetize. And then it turns out users are using the product in a completely different way than we anticipated. So at the current moment, we're not generating revenue. Uh, What our key metrics are, are like daily active usage, um, new users per week, and how long is the engagement time for each user in there? So we're looking at, okay, in the product, which users are using, you know, this feature for a really long time. Okay. If that becomes a trend, then we can monetize here through these features, seeing what's most important to the users using the product. So in terms of like a monetization strategy, I think that'll come once we have a more solidified picture of how everybody's using this product what they're using it for because you know ads can be a way of generating revenue but if you can find some you know freemium feature that it's like okay you know 10 15 20 percent of your users would pay to have this additional thing in this section or whatever i think that could be more beneficial and then also doesn't require the data that you know um specified ads might require Um, because that's another thing too if your target demographic is college students you I personally want to stay out of their, you know, data and their information as much as possible while still giving them the best experience that they can have. So, you know, kind of making the best of both worlds in that situation. Be your own boss. That's the title of your TED Talk that you recently gave in April. How was that experience? I've always wanted to give a TED Talk (laughs) and so, so does Steph. So, how is that ex- experience and congrats on the on the talk? I appreciate it. Um, yeah, it was a really great experience. So um, I did a TEDx talk with the University of Florida. They had, I think, 10 speakers talk. Um, and it was really exciting. It was my first time ever giving a TED talk and ever writing a speech at this length. I had a really great coach, Victoria, help me with this speech. Um, and 
it was just cool to get my thoughts down on paper. So I, you know, read a lot and um, have a lot of different opinions and philosophies on things. So getting one of them down on paper, especially, I think it's very timely because the talk was about how in this generation we're shifting to, it's kind of the barriers to entry for being a creative are a lot lower where the technology is out there if you want to do it. So a lot of people are, you know, creating podcasts, creating YouTube channels, creating apps, you know, building these things, which is awesome. But now there's this saturation where there's so many YouTube channels, there's so many podcasts, so many apps. So how do you make yours stand out um, when it's so easy to just, you know, fall into the crowd? So that's kind of what I wanted to push on. And I got the idea from, I was reading this um, book about Netflix called No Rules Rules and, um, Reed Hastings, who's one of the founders of Netflix, talked about they only hire rock stars. So they only hire people who, in a creative field, they you know perform 10, 20, 30 times better than their peers. So that's you know somebody who's a musician and they are way better than the average musician, or somebody who does you know video editing, they're way better than the average person. So I was like, okay, how do you become a rock star? Because I would want to be that person. So through a couple of other books that I read and just listening to podcasts and things like that, I kind of gathered these insights about, and I broke it down into just four steps on how to become that rock star so that when you're creating something, how do you, you know, make it worthwhile and actually stand out? Because I've, you know, seen it. A lot of my friends are starting businesses and it's difficult to get out of that you know, my friends and family listen to it, but how do I get, you know, the greater audience, a wider audience to, you know, really look at and see what I'm doing and enjoy it. Um, So that was kind of what the talk was about, just um, getting all those thoughts down. And it was cool. Like, I don't public speak too often. So I think that was a really cool experience. And all of the the setup and stuff by the TEDxUF team was really great. Um, So I'd say it was a very rewarding experience. Well, you provided a immense amount of insight on this episode. Uh, we definitely appreciate you dropping by. And now we are currently at our final question of today. And this will provide you the opportunity to provide one last round of advice, feedback, and insight to our audience. So here at Dream Shakers, we are all about paying it forward, right? So what are three pieces of advice that you would give your younger self? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, first and, piece and, of and, advice. And, 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 and speaking of paying it forward, we, we definitely need some great vibe merch along the way. Um, to, to, just to throw it out. Got you, got you. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, three pieces of advice I'd give to my younger self. One is um, know that you're valuable. Um, I think even with like the achieving a lot type thing, I had, you know, a lot of struggles with like self-worth and, you know, getting these accomplishments doesn't necessarily like make you feel better. That self-worth comes from, you know, internally. So it's like, you know, you are valuable regardless of if you're, you know, working for Microsoft or if you're, you know, watching Netflix all day, like that doesn't determine your value. Um, That just comes from within you. So I think that's the bit, the first key. I would say the second one is that, you know, going off the beaten path can be really valuable. Um, And that's one thing that I've kind of 
held with me. Like if everybody is going in one direction, like I might probably look at a different direction to go because that means everybody's going to get those same results. And I kind of, if I want to stand out or you want to be different than everybody, you can't do the same things as them. So um, I kind of have tried living that with waking up early, going to the gym in the morning, doing the things that people aren't willing to do, staying up, working on your thing, um, your product or your business or whatever, because if you do what everybody else is doing, you're going to get the same results that everybody else gets. Um, so that's the second piece of advice. Third piece of advice is um, take your work seriously, but don't take yourself seriously. Um, because I think taking yourself too seriously just puts all this pressure like, oh, this the, the, the sky is falling. Everything is like crashing around me. And I think taking yourself too seriously, like can definitely result in a lot of mental health challenges. So it's like, have fun with it. You know, what you're doing is important and, you know, don't play around with the work, but if you try your hardest and you're pushing on something, then the results, you know, are what the results are. You keep moving on it, but don't, you know, take yourself too seriously and just tie your identity to what you've accomplished or the results like, you know, work hard, but play hard too. And with that, that concludes the 25th episode. We appreciate you King for stopping by and dropping all the gems and the jewels and, and now it's on us and, and for the audience to put this all into action. Um, but yeah, we, we couldn't have made this episode um, a, a delightful one without you. So I appreciate you. We definitely hope to invite you back to the pod for future episodes and keep keep, keep doing your thing. We, we look forward to seeing more updates and more success. Great bond. For sure. I appreciate y'all for having me. This is real cool. Thank you. And we're back. That was a great conversation we just had with Nigel on finding your path, rising through leadership, and learning more about the budding platform. That is great, Vaughn. How did you feel about the combo, George? To your point, Steph, it was an amazing conversation. Thank you, Nigel, for stopping by and expressing the importance of self-care, self-awareness, mental health, and just being Black in corporate and tech. So I have no complaints. Solid points, man. Solid points. So with that, we're going to go ahead and switch over to the final segment, which is the level up. And here is where we provide you, our audience, with three opportunities to enter the field that is technology. So first up, we have a fall virtual content acquisitions intern role at HBO. Now, what's going to happen here is that you're going to be a part of the content acquisition team, and they're responsible for the licensing of all off-network content, including feature and indie films, uh, Latino, international, and syndicated series for the entire spectrum of Warner Media Entertainment Networks and premium play platforms like HBO Max. Interns will participate in various facets of the content acquisition process with focus on the research and historical analysis portion of this cycle. Over the course of the summer, you will assist the acquisitions team 
identify possible acquisition targets that align with programming needs, track major happenings within the competitive streaming landscape locally and internationally to ensure Warner Media is getting the most expensive grant of rights, and screen reference content for possible acquisition, then write coverage if and when HBO is interested. You are fit for this role if you are a film, theater, or a television major, or you have a background in entertainment law, you have an impassioned approach to film and television, and finally, if you are currently enrolled in a college degree program, the internship will be remote and the application deadline is Monday, June 14th. And remember folks, this is a full internship. Next up, we have a finance development program internship at Apple. Now, Apple has opportunities for students who are passionate about pursuing careers in corporate finance. As an intern, you will learn, grow, and contribute to Apple's business while working on exciting projects alongside top finance professionals. Over the course of the summer, you will analyze financial performance by highlighting trends and anomalies, streamline reporting through the use of databases such as Tableau or with Excel macros, and partner with cross-functional groups and business partners to analyze Apple's business. You are fit for this role if you are strong at multitasking, you thrive in a fast-paced environment, and finally, you are able to think analytically. The internship will be based out of Cupertino, California. Finally, we have an energy product management internship at Tesla, and this one will also be taking place in the fall. Now, here you will be a key member of the industrial product management team focusing on Tesla's B2B energy storage solutions. The team is responsible for commercial slash industrial products across Tesla's three core segments, utilities, commercial and industrial, and microgrids. You will be a key technical member of a cross-functional team of hardware, software, and service product managers that focuses on defining new commercial and utility energy storage products and applications across global markets while supporting the ongoing development of technical content for sales, finance, and engineering teams for Tesla's industrial energy products. Over the course of the summer, you will support product managers directly on all core and critical team efforts. Candidates are expected to own and drive multiple independent and collaborative efforts to completion. Support work streams such as the next generation product spec and offering definition, new market entry, service and maintenance topics and more. Candidates are expected to perform market and customer research, present trade-offs and opportunities, and drive conclusive decisions with key technical and commercial stakeholders. And you will also be expected to support the launch readiness of new products and offerings by leading internal work streams and creating and delivering collateral and training. Uh, you are fit for this role if you have knowledge or strong interest in energy systems or the clean tech field. You are currently pursuing a BS or MS in engineering. And finally, you have interest in cross-functional work spanning technical, financial, operational, and a strong desire to develop a deep understanding of customer and market requirements. The internship will be based out of Palo Alto, California. Now, those are all the opportunities I have for you all this week, but next week I'll be back with a brand new set. So for now, I'm going to hand it off to George, and he's going to close us out. Thank you, Steph, for those amazing opportunities. Such a pleasure to hear that there are always room for different opportunities that these students and these young black professionals could apply for 
tune in for the next week and for those future episodes where we will continue to give you free game and more opportunities to shine. Take care. God bless and talk soon.